Welcome to our evening service tonight. We want to begin our worship, please, with number 437. Loved with everlasting love, led by grace, that love to know, spirit breathing from above, for thou hast taught me it is so. Let's stand as we worship the Lord tonight.
Let's bow before the Lord. Please, now in prayer, commit our evening service to Him. Our loving Father and our gracious God, we are thankful again for the return of the Lord's Day evening service and the opportunity we have of being here in Your house of prayer, of praise, of worship. And what rejoicing we have, Father, to think of the words of this hymn we have been singing, that I am His and He is mine. We're thankful, Lord, that this truth is not something that fades. It's not temporary, but it is for all eternity. Lord, we ask tonight that once more we would be very, very aware of the Savior with us in this service. Let us not be distracted by other issues, other things. Dear Father, keep our focus, we pray, upon the Scripture. Blessed Holy Spirit, come and make the Savior known to us. Increase our knowledge. Advance our understanding. Help us, we pray, to have a greater grasp on the doctrines of sovereign grace, on the doctrines that reveal our Lord Jesus more fully to us. Dear Lord, we are so often slow to learn. So often we can be distracted by other things going on around us in this world. But dear God, no matter what it is, we pray that we will advance more and more in the kingdom of Christ, and that we would grow spiritually. Lord, that we would add to our faith daily. We pray that we would grow in the, in the graces of the Spirit, of love and joy and peace, and long-suffering and gentleness and goodness and faith and meekness and temperance, Oh, Lord, we say these words so quickly, but I pray that the depth of meaning of each one of these characteristics and blessings of Christ would be seen in our lives. And dear Lord, have mercy upon us and, and please wash us from our failings and our sin that we would be very close with our God. Lead us in the center, Father, of Your divine will day by day, and let us be a bright testimony and a light in our day, in our time. We think often of the account of Esther in the Scripture and how she was brought to the kingdom for such a time as this. Lord, You revealed divine purpose in her life and time and what she was called to do. And I pray that each of us would see our own lives in the will of our Father in heaven and that we would understand that we are not just numbers, we're not just those who are here for no purpose. But Lord, we have a divine purpose. And I pray that we will make that witness known far and wide and help us to see our place in this time period of history. And dear Lord, I ask that we would be found faithful, more faithful than yesterday or last month or last year. 
And that, Lord, in a time when our nations seem to be going headlong down to hell, when our politicians are devising and scheming of things against the Scriptures and against that which is right and true, that, Lord, You would restrain them and stop them from doing wicked things and evil ways, and help us as the church of Christ to be very much alive to our calling and very much aware, Father, to what we must do in our generation. And so let us be salt and light in our time. And I pray that corporately as a church fellowship we would stand four square upon the Scripture and that we would take our stand separated from compromise and apostasy in our time, and that, Lord, You would make use of us. We know, Lord, we're not able of ourselves. We are of no value. But it pleases You, Lord, to take the simple and the foolish and the weak things of this world to confound those things that appear to be mighty. And so, Lord, we're asking to make, make use of us for the extension of the kingdom of Christ and for His honor and glory. Lord, may the Savior be reflected in our life. And don't allow us to have the mirror of our testimony marred by the world or the flesh or the devil or some personal compromise. Lord, make us sanctified and clean and ready for the Master's use. Father, we again are thankful for the blessing of Your hand upon Dr. McClellan. In fact, he could be with us in the service this morning. Bless him now tonight at his home. We're thankful that our sister Serene was here. Our brother David Yap this morning in the service. Uh, Lord, bless these ones. We think of our brother Ron and Richard Teo. Thankful that our sister Barbara Nichols was in the meeting this morning. And Lord, we pray that Your blessing would be upon our dear sister in her own health needs as well. And bless Anna, Tan at home at this time, and Isabel, and Ted, and so many others, Lord, we may not have mentioned their names, but they are on our hearts as a congregation. We hold them up, and we know, Lord, our prayers are not in vain, because You have blessed us with the power of intercession. And You have told us to come boldly unto the throne of grace. And Lord, we are taking the Word of God at face value. And therefore, we depend that the answers will come according to divine will and purpose. And so, Lord, hear us tonight. Bless these Scriptures as we read. And bless the Word of God. And we pray it will be written upon our hearts and the Holy Spirit will apply that truth to each one of us. Father, we pray for those in our congregation that may have some deep spiritual need, or some practical issue. We ask for Your hand to be upon them and to bless them. We think of the Abarca family at this time. And Lord, we pray for Jamie that he would know healing and a touch from You. Father, we think of that family overseas in Macrofelt. We pray for Johnny and Claire Jordan, and in the loss of their young son, Matthew. Oh God, we pray that You would comfort them with a comfort that no human words can bring. O oh Lord, of young parents, hearts broken, 
of grandparents and family members. Lord, pour out Your grace abundantly upon them and help them in this hour of their great need. Lord, remember our school. We pray again for Whitfield that it will continue to be a witness for Christ in this generation. And Lord, we pray that many young people will be brought to the Savior in the halls of our school and that they would determine to go on with God and to be a light in a dark world. Father, use this ministry. We do not want to be just another private school to give some kind of education. We desire to be a school of Christ. We want to be a witness in our day. And we pray that the parents that come, Lord, they would also have a heart to follow after the things of Christ, and they would be supportive and helpful in every endeavor that we take to train the children in the right and the true ways of Christ. Father, we ask tonight also for those believers who are being persecuted in far-off lands, in places that we have not been to perhaps, and yet we know and sense the pressure of persecuting persecution mounting in our own land. Lord, make and bless them to be a witness in any part, in every part of the globe as they stand faithful and true for the Lord Jesus Christ. Lord, hear our prayers now tonight. Continue to be with us and bless us. We ask in Jesus' name. Amen. Please turn to number 529 if you're using our hymnal and we will stand together as we worship, Take Up Thy Cross.
turning tonight, please, in our Bibles, the congregational reading to Mark chapter 1, Mark's Gospel chapter 1, the first 18 verses. We read in the Lord's name. The beginning of the Gospel of Jesus Christ, the Son of God. As it is written in the prophets, Behold, I send my messenger before thy face, which shall prepare thy way before thee. The voice of one crying in the wilderness, Prepare ye the way of the Lord, make his path straight. John did baptize in the wilderness and preached the baptism of repentance for the remission of sins. And there went out unto him, all the land of Judea, and they of Jerusalem, and were all baptized of him in the river Jordan, confessing their sins. And John was clothed with camel's hair and with a girdle of a skin about his loins, and he did eat locusts and wild honey, and preached, saying, There cometh one mightier than I after me, the latchet of his shoes, I am not worthy to stoop down and unloose. I indeed have baptized you with water, but he shall baptize you with the Holy Ghost. And it came to pass in those days that Jesus came from Nazareth of Galilee and was baptized of John in Jordan. And straightway coming up out of the water, he saw the heavens opened and the Spirit like a dove descending upon him. And there came a voice from heaven saying, Thou art my beloved Son, in whom I am well pleased. And immediately the Spirit driveth him into the wilderness. And he was there in the wilderness forty days, tempted of Satan, and was with the wild beasts, and the angels ministered unto him. Now, after that, John was put in prison. Jesus came into Galilee preaching the gospel of the kingdom and saying, The time is fulfilled, and the kingdom of God is at hand. Repent ye and believe the gospel. Now, as he walked by the Sea of Galilee, he saw Simon and Andrew, his brother, casting a net into the sea, for they were fishers. And Jesus said unto them, Come after me, and I will make you to become fishers of men. And straightway they forsook their nets and followed him. May God bless his own precious word to our hearts tonight as we have read. We want to welcome you all this evening again to the Lord's house. We're glad that you are here. We had some visitors in the service this morning, and we're always happy to welcome them. And as I mentioned, uh, Brother David Yap, who had spent two years in Singapore, he was in military service there, and he arrived back just on Friday. David was in our school in Whitfield for many years. He graduated 
and then he went overseas to fulfill his duty and responsibility from his own country. But he's back here again. He's going to be going to McMaster University. And so I would ask you to remember him in prayer and that the Lord would watch over him and continue to bless him and encourage him in the Lord. And as we knew, Dr. McClellan was in the service this morning, and he's at home tonight. Uh, One service a day is about as much as can be taken until he gathers his strength up again. But we're very thankful that God's hand has been upon him. We also got news, a note from our sister Anna Tan, and she is improving, doing much better, and is very, very thankful for all the prayers of God's people for her. And so she wanted to be remembered to everyone. And so please uh, continue to hold up Anna in your prayers. And also had the opportunity of speaking with Isabel Glynn uh, this past week. And she is making improvement, not as fast as she would like, but she is making some improvement and wants to be remembered to the congregation. She was hoping there may have been a possibility of her being out today, but not so. But we hold her up before the Lord. I know you've all been praying for Reverend John Bodner, and I got a text from Dorothy, his wife, this afternoon, and she said that John is very, very low, and he's not eating and not taking medication now, and so Dorothy's just asking for your continued prayers for her, and uh, she also had a fall herself not long ago, and so she was tending uh, to that, but she is by John's side and wants to be there as much as possible in this final, these final days that he has. And then please remember that young family in Macrofelt that lost their young son, Matthew, just nine months old. We don't know any more details than that, but we just want to remember the family in our, our prayers. Please remember our school as it recommences on Tuesday and be in prayer for all of the needs and ministry of our school. And Tuesday will be a busy day. We have a presbytery prayer time at noon, and then a finance committee meeting at 1 p.m. And then also, please remember, our session will have a meeting on 6 p.m. on Tuesday night. And ask you to remember on Wednesday our Bible study and prayer time, and we want to focus our praying for our Sunday school ministry that will recommence next Lord's Day, and that's after a summer break. And then the new time will be 9.50, not 9.55, so just five minutes different. So we ask you to please be in your place for 9.45 so we can get started right on time and use and maximize all the time we have in the morning for both the boys and girls in their classes and also our youth and adult Bible classes as well. Please remember an advance announcement for September the 14th, and that will be our session and board meeting that the Thursday night. I don't want to forget the morning and evening service, of course, next Lord's Day, and God willing, I'll be here to bring the word uh, next Lord's Day. Lots of things are happening, as always, in the fall program of work, and it's exciting and encouraging, and I can tell you a bit nerve-wracking as well. There's many, many things going on. I have not given you all of the announcements and the ministry things, but we'll give them to you as they come uh, a couple of weeks in advance. I would ask you to remember 
the work in Port Hope uh, tonight, and Brother Cranston, uh, Brother Reggie Cranston announced to his own congregation uh, about two weeks ago that he is plans on retiring from the ministry in October. This October will mark 30 years of his ministry and the Port Hope congregation. And so they're going to be having anniversary services the last full week of uh, October. And uh, Brother Reverend Ferguson will be coming over to take up those meetings. He actually is in Calgary at this present time, filling in the pulpit there. And so he's being put to good use. He's retired from his ministry overseas in Northern Ireland. And so he's been uh, uh, filling in and helping and we're looking forward to having him here in our church as well. But that just ask you to remember in prayer, please, the work in Port Hope and also give wisdom to the elders and to the presbytery uh, to know uh, the next step in that ministry. Well, those are all the announcements we have for you tonight. We're going to sing again to the Lord's praise, number 561, Living for uh, Jesus, and we will stand as we sing.
You may be seated. That particular hymn brings back some fond memories because when I was overseas studying in the ministry back in 1989, 19, uh, it just goes back to the times when the students used to go on deputation and we would sing this hymn a number of times and it was really a, a hymn of testimony and a hymn of devotion unto the Lord. And I pray that will be the case for us again tonight. Please turn in your Bibles with me to the Gospel of Matthew chapter 16. Matthew chapter 16. We're going to read from verse 21. Actually, we're going to back up to verse 13. I want to get the whole context of this section. Verse 13 of Matthew 16. When Jesus came into the coasts of Caesarea Philippi, He asked His disciples, saying, Who do men say that I, the Son of Man, am? And they said, Some say thou art John the Baptist, some Elias, and some Jeremiah's, or one of the prophets. He saith unto them, But whom say ye that I am? And Simon Peter answered and said, Thou art the Christ, the Son of the living God. And Jesus answered and said unto him, Blessed art thou, Simon Barjona, for flesh and blood hath not revealed it unto thee, but my Father which is in heaven. And I say also unto thee, Thou art Peter, and upon this rock I will build my church, and the gates of hell shall not prevail against it. And I will give unto thee the keys of the kingdom of heaven. Whatsoever thou shalt bind on earth shall be bound in heaven." Whatsoever thou shalt loose on earth shall be loosed in heaven. Then charged he his disciples that they should tell no man that he was Jesus the Christ. From that time forth began Jesus to show unto his disciples how that he must go unto Jerusalem and suffer many things of the elders and chief priests and scribes and be killed, and raised again the third day. Then Peter took him, began to rebuke him, saying, Be it far from thee, Lord, this shall not be unto thee. But he turned and said unto Peter, Get thee behind me, Satan. Thou art an offense unto me, for thou savorest not the things that be of God, but those that be of men. Then said Jesus unto his disciples, If any man will come after me, 
let him deny himself and take up his cross and follow me. For whosoever will save his life shall lose it. And whosoever will lose his life for my sake shall find it. For what is a man profited if he shall gain the whole world and lose his own soul? Or what shall a man give in exchange for his soul? For the Son of Man shall come in the glory of his Father with his angels, and then he shall reward every man according to his works. Verily I say unto you, there be some standing here which shall not taste death till they see the Son of Man coming in His kingdom. I want us to focus our thoughts tonight on verses 24, 25. Then said Jesus unto His disciples, If any man will come after Me, let him deny himself and take up his cross and follow Me. For whosoever will save his life shall lose it, and whosoever will lose his life for my sake shall find it. We'll ask the Lord to help us in our time tonight. Father, we have your holy word open now before us. Scriptures of truth. And we pray for the ministry of the Spirit of God to our hearts that you would help us, Lord, to understand and the truth would be fastened to our hearts so that we will be changed more to the image of our Lord Jesus, that we will be prepared in our generation, that we will give ourselves afresh, Lord, to the things that are of eternal importance. Father, so often we can be set aside or distracted by things that are of temporal nature, but I pray we will always have in our hearts, always in our minds, our thinking of eternity, of heaven, of living out and out for our Lord Jesus. And Father, as we come now to recommence a fall season of work, I pray that each one of us here would rededicate our lives, every believer, saying, Lord, I give myself afresh to Thee. I want to serve my Lord and Master and Father, for this we will need help that is not human, but help that is divine. And so, bless us now, we pray, for we ask these things in Jesus' holy name. Amen. We have read how the Lord asked His disciples about who do people say that He, the Son of Man, is. And 
several reports came back. The disciples knew them well. It's interesting, isn't it? The news feeds that were very active in that day. Who was this strange person by the name of Jesus? Where did He come from? Who is this man anyways? And so, a lot of different guesses. Was He one of the prophets? Was He Jeremiah? Was He Elijah? Was He John the Baptist? And all of these things were not true, we know. But after the Lord had asked that first leading question, He then turns His focus upon His disciples because He really wanted them to be able to give testimony. Who were they following? Who were they giving themselves to? Were they following one of the prophets of the Old Testament? No. And Peter stepped up and said, Thou art the Christ, the Son of the living God, and we are following our Messiah. And Jesus said, Flesh and blood not reveal this unto you, but my Father in heaven. Because revelation and truth comes from God alone. And the truth that was revealed to the disciples, not Peter only, the others as well. Peter was just the spokesman at that moment. And Jesus said, My Father has revealed this unto you. And Christ said, Upon this rock, the declaration that Peter had made that Christ was the Son of God, upon that foundation the church would be built. It wasn't built upon Peter, the shaking sand of an unstable man, whom the Lord Jesus in the next breath would say, Get thee behind me, Satan. The church is not built upon Peter, no matter what the papacy has concocted for all these millennia of years. No, the church is built upon Christ and upon Him alone. From the time, that time forth, in verse 21, Jesus began to tell them in detail of what would happen to Him when He went to Jerusalem, of the suffering, His death, His resurrection, how that the scribes and the Pharisees, the Jews, then would turn completely all of their anger and hatred against Him, and they would see to it that He was crucified. The scribes and the Pharisees, they had no conception in their mind of a suffering, crucified Messiah. Why? Because the Old Testament prophecies that were full of a crucified Messiah, the message of a suffering Savior, read Isaiah 53, you could not escape that. But those who were in charge of the religion of the day when Jesus was there, they were blinded. Jesus called them whited sepulchers. They were full of dead men's bones because they had no spiritual life in them. They were not following as the disciples were the Messiah that had come and been revealed. They had rejected Him. And that's why they desired to put Him to death. The Savior then proceeds to instruct them about what it meant to be a follower of the one they had declared was the Son of God. And they must count the cost. Friends, you cannot follow Jesus Christ without understanding there is a cost involved in this. 
Perhaps you've grown up in a Christian family. Maybe you've attended a Christian school, ours. Perhaps you have been sheltered somewhat from the animosity of the world. And you might wonder, well, I've not really had much of a cost to pay for my salvation. I've not had much to cost, uh, much to pay for following the Lord Jesus or making that declaration. But be certain of this, friends, because Jesus made it very clear all that follow me, all that declare they are disciples of Christ, shall suffer persecution. There is a cost of being a disciple of Christ. And then when we think about the cost that Jesus is talking about and the suffering in our life to some degree, that cost seems nothing, doesn't it, in light of eternity and in light of what Christ has done for us and in light of the everlasting promise that He has and the hope that we are given that when we die we will go to be with Him. In this short passage of Scripture, we have read about a Messiah that was declared to be the Son of God. We have read about a Messiah that was going to suffer. We have, dis- we have discovered that in following Him, there is a price to pay. Friends, I want to share with you tonight as we think about these two verses, 24 and 25, that when we follow the Lord Jesus, it will be declared by our service to Him, by our devotion to Him, by our desire to be a testimony for Him in our life. I want you to notice the first thought is this, the opportunity that we have been given. Verse 24 says, Then Jesus said unto His disciples, If any man will come after Me, if any man will come after Me. And right away, we are confronted with a very privileged opportunity that Christ is set before us. You know, the Lord does not coerce His people into serving Him. This service is something that He grants as a privilege. It's not a right. And when the Lord opens up the door of opportunity for us to invest in Him and to give ourselves to Him, there are eternal rewards that come with that. For those who are unsaved, this idea of serving Christ and of suffering in that service, it would be like a life sentence of drudgery. It would be like someone who would be overwhelmed with great boredom. What would it be like to serve by going to church many times in the week, by witnessing and being abused for that witness? about having to follow a list of thou shalt nots and a list of other regimental activities and so on. All of these things which are not true 
in the perspective of the Christian, but they are the perspective of the ungodly. They would think, why would I want to do that? And they would run from it. They would not run to it. Why would I want to give my hard-earned money to some ministry or church when I can spend that money on what I want, on something else? I could buy a nicer vehicle. I could have nicer clothing. I could do other stuff with my money. Why would I want to give my tithes and offerings to a church? These things are so foreign to those who are outside of Christ. But for believers, we look upon this as a great privilege. And this idea of serving the Lord is because we love Him that we want to give our hearts and our souls, and our lives. And we want to follow under His banner, the banner of the cross. We are called to be soldiers in the service of our Lord Jesus Christ. This will not be easy. At times it will be extremely hard. But I ask you, friend, as a believer in Christ, Would you trade that? Would you trade your eternal salvation for anything that this world has to give? Would you trade now what you know of your sins forgiven and of the promise and hope of eternity because you would have a few more dollars in your bank or because you might escape some bitter words or some type of persecution? The Lord asked the question in this very context, What shall it profit a man if he gain the whole world and yet lose his own soul? What would a man give in exchange for his soul? I ask you, friend, tonight to consider this deeply. If you're not a believer, if you've never received Christ as your Savior, your soul hangs in the balance. And Jesus, the Son of God, is saying to you, What will you exchange for your soul? Ah, my friend, to reject Christ and to die in your sins is to go to a lost eternity. But to accept Christ, it may well be the loss of everything in this world that people find valuable and important. But at the end, you would have your soul's security in glory forever. You would know peace with God. You would know everlasting joy. And so, yes, to serve Christ, it is a very, very privileged opportunity. But it's also, we would say, something that's very precious. Living a life devoted to God, no matter what happens, It gives to us in time, right now. It gives to us a peace that passes all understanding. Paul took that up in the book of Philippians when he was explaining and expressing to those Christians then that if you have this peace of knowing Christ and having a relationship with Him and you have that knowledge in your heart, then there is a peace that floods into your soul that you cannot define It goes beyond our understanding, but you know it, and you possess it, and it is real, 
for a child of God. No matter what happens in this life, you may be blessed with some amount of dollars or income. You you may have an amount of possession that is not a bad thing at all. But, But what would happen if we were to lose those things? What would happen if we, like in Job's situation, lost those things that we had? Would we still maintain our spiritual integrity? I'm not talking just about temporal or earthly integrity. Because Job maintained and kept his spiritual integrity, which was of all things most valuable. Will we wait to receive at the end the well done, thou good and faithful servant? Will that not be worth it all, the precious opportunity of serving our Master? Remember what Paul said? He said, for our light affliction which is but for a moment, but it works for us a far more exceeding and eternal weight of glory. Ah, the man had the the things in the right order. He had the perspective right of what this life was. And you think of the greatest apostle of the New Testament, when it came to the end of his life and he was in prison, what did he possess and own? He had no property. He barely had clothes on his back. He, He had hardly a book to read. He had nothing of this life's value and good. And yet the man was rich towards God. He had everything. And he desired nothing more. He said, I have all. I have everything. Because he possessed Christ. And my friends, it was a precious opportunity and a privilege for him to serve his Lord. Is that how you and I perceive it? At times I think we get rather distressed and upset over little things, and it's to our rebuke. We cannot take any, any confidence in that. We have no boast in those things. It's to our shame. Ah, friends, let's, let's rethink where we are in the Lord Let's reconsider because of where we're standing now on the very precipice, on the very beginning, we could say, of the fall work. And we want to say, Lord, where are we with You? Are we Your servants? Are we prepared to say, My Lord and Master, I give myself afresh to You? It's a good thing, you know, when we come to these occasions to do a little internal review to do a little assessment within our own hearts and to say, yes, Lord, I want to be of useful service in Your kingdom. I want to give myself afresh because it is a very precious opportunity that we have to serve. And therefore, whatever time we have to serve, let us not waste that time. Let us rather say, Lord, I will gather up the fragments that you give me and say, take my life and let it be consecrated, Lord, to Thee. But It may well be that there comes times of trial in the service of Christ, and therefore the opportunity that we have to serve could be called perilous, troublesome. Yes, all who live godly in the Lord shall suffer persecution. Why would we 
be told to take on the armor of God in prayer if there was not some perilous journey that we had to take as Christians. And so, if we have the armor of God to have on us, therefore we're going into a battle, and the devil has his sights on us continually, and Satan's plan for our lives is to destroy us. We cannot make peace with him. There is no negotiation with the forces of hell. There is no peace treaty that we can dare to make with the devil, for he is a liar and the father of lies, and whatever deception he tries to tempt us into, we better beware of it, because he only wants to wreck us. Often the declaration of your faith may bring to you the scowl or the jeering, the mocking, some persecution of some kind. If you tell someone you're a believer, it may be, as I was speaking with that man and the privilege that the Lord gave me this past week, maybe that God had been preparing his heart by some other circumstances completely unknown to me, and he was receptive at that moment. But on the next turn, you share your faith with someone, and they're going to, they're going to set you aside, and they're going to look at you as if you're mad. Peter said, Paul said rather, that he was separated unto the gospel and he was set for the defense of the gospel. And that means that there is a battle to be waged. There's a warfare that we are involved in. And if we miss or fail to see what God has for us in our life, that warfare, we're going to be caught off guard And we need to be on our guard for faithfully declaring His faith in Christ and showing a factual account of history. Stephen, the deacon in the New Testament church, was martyred. He was stoned to death. A man full of faith, we are told, and of the Holy Spirit, who followed Christ with determination, with conviction, and he was prepared to pay the ultimate price. A man greatly to be admired. A man who wears the martyr's crown and the first one of the New Testament time. But others followed shortly after him. James was put to death by the sword of Herod. Paul, I believe, was executed, was beheaded. Peter was crucified. Church history tells us upside down by his own request. And many more saints of the early New Testament church followed after them. They were hunted down. They were persecuted. They were burned, some of them, to death. Life was not without danger then, and following of Christ had its peril. And where does that leave us as we review our own lives? Friends, it's very important for us to think, oh, that was a long time ago, and therefore it doesn't apply to us today. Let's not be deceived about that. 
let us pray that God will prepare our hearts and our minds and our determination to say we will stand for our Lord Jesus in whatever confrontation He brings us to, and that we will stand the test of time by His grace and Spirit and power, because we have no might nor power to do this of our own flesh. We are weak. I am weak. I would not be able to stand by my own power. It is only by the grace of God and the Spirit poured out upon us that will enable us to be a witness for Him in these last of the last days. Friends, we have an opportunity that's given to us. And the second thought tonight is that this call to service is going to require surrender. Come back to verse 24. Then Jesus said unto His disciples, If any man will come after Me, let him deny himself. Is this not really at the the center of Christianity? We sometimes say 101. It's an expression that said, this is the beginning place of our education. It, It is the beginning place of defining, really, what it is to be a follower of Christ. If we're going to follow the Lord, boasting in our ability, boasting, first of all, that we have received Christ by our own will, willpower, if we're going to serve the Lord by our own strength and initiative, we're off on the wrong foot. We cannot live and be faithful to Christ and faithful Christians unless we realize that there's going to be at the very center of this call, the center of this service for the Master, a sense of self-denial, of surrender. Let Him deny Himself. What is self-denial? We asked this question a couple of weeks ago in our prayer meeting when we were thinking about the life of Epaphroditus. Brought that challenge to our staff members in school just a few days ago and asked that same question as we begin the school year, as staff members are preparing for they don't know what will be in front of them, but the ministry that they are engaged in in our Christian school ministry is a vital one. It's absolutely necessary that every staff member, every helper and worker sees where they are with the Lord in their own personal and private relationship and in their corporate acknowledgement that they're in the work of God. And so it brings us to the point of asking the question, well, what is self-denial? And as I shared with you a few weeks ago on Wednesday, the Bible gives us definition of this. We're not left to imagine our own. The Bible gives us definition, and it also brings us illustrations. And Epaphroditus was one of those. For he was a man who gave himself to the work of God, 
He was a member of the church in Philippi. He had the responsibility of taking the offering from the church all the way to Rome to deliver it to the Apostle Paul, who was imprisoned there. And he gave himself to that service. And I will tell you something, that would not have been easy. Because if you're going to go to Rome, the center of all that was heathen and godless, to go to a man in prison who was in prison for the very fact that he was a preacher of Christ, you're taking your life in your hands. You're going to be associated with a man who was the off-scouring of the earth then, and who ultimately was put to death as a martyr for his faith. And here's Epaphroditus, willingly joining himself to the apostle, willingly giving of himself for that ministry. What was he doing? He was giving us an example of what self-denial was all about and what surrender to the cause of Christ was all about. Self-denial is not giving up something which may or may not be important to us. It's much more radical than that. It is the denial of self. It's the death of self-will. And the birth of a God-directed will. That's what it means. Putting our own purposes down. Putting ourselves and our self-will aside. And let's understand that the central force, the driving power in our lives is that which is living for another purpose. Living for a calling that is higher than ourselves. It will certainly involve turning from whatever comes in competition to Christ. And so there are times when the Spirit of God will put His finger on something in our lives because that something may be a hindrance to us accomplishing the further will of God. So self-denial may involve putting aside something or refusing to engage in something or being prepared to get rid of something from our life. And whatever that may be for you, it may be different for, for me. But you let the Holy Spirit work in your own heart to determine that as you submit yourself to Him. And the Lord is well able to do that work in all of us, believe me. I know that in my own experience, as I'm sure you do to some degree as well. Living not unto self, but unto God. It's easy to say those words, but when you look at a man that's given to us as an example, like Epaphroditus, you will see that a man whose life was on the line, not only when he went to Rome, but the fact that he was sick nigh unto death because of the work of Christ. And Paul makes that very clear. The very last verse of chapter 2 of Philippians, verse 30. This man was nigh unto death for the work of the Lord. So there's an example of self-denial. But friends, as we consider this, we must acknowledge that this goes against the natural tendencies that we all have. By nature, we do not want to give up our autonomy. 
our self-rule. And that's why this denying of self is so repulsive to the flesh that we, we recoil against it. You know the flesh hates praying. Your flesh hates when you read, and so the Scriptures. And so therefore, many things will come up to distract us or disturb us in that. And even when we're reading the Bible, our mind might be a hundred miles away. We're thinking about something else. We've just read a chapter or a portion. Well, what, what was that all about? Yeah, you know what I mean, because you fall into the same trap as well. It goes against our natural tendencies. We, we recoil against this. Just when you put two poles of a magnet, two magnets together, they push each other apart. And so that's what it's like when we're trying to mix foreign things together. You put oil and water together, and you shake them up, and it looks like it's together, but you set that jug down, and very, very quickly, the oil and the water separate again, because those two things don't mix. And the flesh and the Spirit are always against each other. Ah, oh, my friends, as we acknowledge and know what's in front of us, our very fleshly nature does not want to be dethroned. And yet, what, we're, what are we told in the Scripture? We are to die unto ourselves daily. In Romans 6, we are told to mortify the deeds of the flesh, to put to death the deeds of the flesh. A gospel that is appealing to the world will be appalling to God. And that's because not only is this against us in nature, it's against the cultural and the social trends of the day. You see, Christianity can never be made popular. It's not something that can be made attractive. And those who are misdirected in their theology or their Christianity, they try to paint the gospel in a way that will be more attractive to the world, a seeker-sensitive type of, of Christianity. But you see, that's very bogus and it's deceptive. It's almost like the idea of a bait-and-switch. You're going to bring someone in by a deceptive means, and then you present the gospel to them, and after that they realize, this is not what I was brought in for. This is a, de a deceptive plan. We have to be very careful about that. The self-denial that is at the heart of a true Christian service, it will not be understood by the cultures of the day. It will be rejected. It will be considered to be foolishness. That's exactly what the, the apostle said. The preaching of the gospel is foolishness to the Greek. It's foolishness to the people of the world because they look at what you're saying, a crucified Savior, just believing in Him, and all will be well in this life in eternity. It's madness. It's foolishness. And so they reject it. They set it aside because the gospel cannot ever be seen as being attractive. It's fanatical. It's extremism. That's what it's looked upon by the world. And it's certainly seen of those of lower intellectual level that buy into it. In society, self-promotion is seen to be the accepted thing. 
What a blessing to have rather the commendation of God than the acceptance of men. Let us see that believer tonight that the social trends and the norms of this world, they, they cannot be in sync with the true gospel word. They're always going to be opposed to it. And we have to realize that part of our devotion to the Lord, part of our walk of faith is going to be to step aside from and not be a part of and not trying to be accepted to those particular norms. One commentator wrote this. He said, It is better to suffer the loss of all things for Christ than to have all that flesh and blood could desire without Him. It's also against reason. Self-promotion seems to be the most reasonable thing to the natural man. If you went in for a job interview, you are supposed to put yourself forward. And you're supposed to promote yourself. And resumes are full of self-promotion. And that's the order of the day. And if you were to engage in self-denial in such an interview, you would probably be looked at as being very, very odd. If you deny yourself, the world will think, who's going to fight for you? If you don't fight for yourself and put your best foot forward and take what's rightfully yours, then you're a fool. But the Lord says, no, you're not a fool. If you give up the things in this world which you cannot take with you for the things that you can never, ever lose. It was reason that caused King Saul to spare Agag and to spare the sheep. He thought this was a good idea. The only problem was he denied God and he disobeyed the Lord's Word. And so what was reasonable to that man was not reasonable to God. Thomas Manton, the Puritan, he said, many can deny themselves in many things, but they are loath to give up all to God without bounds and reservations. What needs to be remembered is that God sees and rewards those whose hearts are surrendered and given to Him. Even if they lack opportunity to serve, even, friend, if we cannot accomplish all we would want to, it may not be a fault of our own, but the Lord looks upon the heart and He sees if you're devoted in your heart and soul to Him, He knows that. But a word of caution about those who might hinder, or certainly if any would get in the way of stopping someone else from serving the Lord in the way they feel they are to do that. Sometimes family can get in the way. Sometimes even spouses can get in the way. Friends, let's do all within our power not to be an obstacle, but rather to be of spiritual encouragement for the growth and development of our family members, our sons and daughters, siblings, spouses, 
Let's do nothing to resist the will of God, but everything to encourage that. So there is in this message tonight before us the opportunity that the Lord has given. If any man, there is that surrender, will deny himself. And the last thought is this. The duty that comes to us that is required. Let him deny himself, Jesus said, and take up his cross and follow me. Take up his cross and follow me. There's a challenge that the Lord sets down immediately in this to his people. This will come at a cost. We've already thought about that. For taking up the cross of Christ is not easy work. Don't kid yourself. It is hard work. It's demanding work. It is a work that will require some things of us. It will require the devotion of our life. It will require the commitment of a heart. It will require determination of mind and will. Yes, these things are part of what the Lord sets before us in the challenge of taking up His cross. You'll remember that when the Lord Jesus was making His way to Calvary, the soldiers called upon another to come and bear the cross. That man had a very unique opportunity that no other human being has had in history to that degree. He physically was carrying the cross that Jesus was about to be nailed to. And really, in type and shadow, we see ourselves as that man was able to bear that cross. So we are called. Jesus uses this very example. We must also take up the cross. And it is a challenge. And it will require humility. Because the cross of Christ is a trial that has something humiliating about it. It is something painful about it because it will go against our natural being. The Savior has shown the way and the example because we are told, He who humbled Himself and became obedient unto death, even the death of the cross. So the Lord Jesus goes before us as our leading example. And as we follow Him, what did the Apostle say in Philippians 2? Let this mind be in you, which was also in Christ Jesus, who thought it not robbery to be equal with God, made Himself of no reputation. The Lord Jesus emptied Himself. He emptied Himself and He humbled Himself to a degree that we can only scratch the surface of trying to understand. He humbled Himself and became obedient unto death, even the death of the cross. Friends, we are called, we're called to take up our cross and to humble ourselves before the Lord and wherever necessary He calls us 
to walk in humility. God resisteth the proud, but He gives grace unto the humble. We all must take great care because pride is something that every man must wrestle with at some stage or another. And perhaps it's something, a battle that we will never be finished with until the day of our death. And I would say, women, you're not escaping this aspect of pride either. It's something that's part of our human nature and makeup. And therefore, to guard against it as we think about what that means and what Jesus is requiring of us to be followers of Him, to take up our cross daily, it's going to be humiliating. And our flesh does not like that. And we pray that as we keep our eyes by faith fastened upon Jesus, fastened upon our Lord, and we endeavor to follow Him, to mirror His example, if we say we abide in Him, we ought Him ourselves also so to walk even as He walked. But there's also a reproach that's going to be connected with this. Taking the cross may be seen to be an embarrassment, a reproach to be ashamed of Jesus. And we know what that's like too. You want to go and witness somebody? You think we should speak to that person, but we get nervous inside then. What are they going to think about us? We wonder, how am I going to speak? Am I going to have the right word? Am I go- if they ask me a question back again, am I going to know how to theologically answer that question? And a lot of things come up in our minds and we have reservation, and so we begin to fear the face of man. And we, we, we are ensnared in that. But the proverb has the answer. He says, but whoso trusteth in the Lord shall be safe. Let our eyes be upon the Lord and let us not worry about what that reproach will mean to us personally. What people will think of us. There is a reproach that must be carried if we're going to be associated with Jesus our Lord. Sometimes that reproach comes with great trial so that the uninformed may presume some type of divine punishment or retribution for evil. That's how the the world will look upon that. Oh, you call yourself a Christian? How come you're suffering so much? And now, friend, we're, we're not suffering because of some punishment from the Lord. There might be the suffering because we are bearing reproach for our Master. And I've already mentioned Job, and you think about his life and how Job suffered greatly and things that were completely out of his control and out of his understanding. But he humbled himself and he bore the reproach that God allowed to be upon him. And there was a challenge that he had to take up. There was humility in what Job went through. There was the reproach of the cross that he had to bear. Ah, but friends, what about the honor of the cross of Christ? Don't forget that because there is most definitely a respectability in the eyes of God for those His children who will bear His cross 
And there is an honor that God will place upon you. And don't forget what He says. Them that honor Me, what I will honor, the Lord said. Oh, what a blessing for us to consider. The apostles, they counted themselves worthy to suffer. Oh, they rejoiced in the early book, chapters of the book of Acts, those early days. After they were beaten and imprisoned, they went back to the church and they rehearsed everything to them and they said, oh, we were so thankful that we were counted worthy. They knew themselves to be most unworthy, but God privileged them to suffer for the cause of Christ. And friends, it all must be done from a principle that is of grace and out of a love for the Savior. The result of all this is stated in verse 25, for Jesus said, For whosoever will save his life shall lose it, and whosoever will lose his life for my sake will find it. So, a life saved will be a life that is forfeited. Those who will save their lives will spend all in saving that which is important to them, the ungodly. Some people that have hoarded great <coughs> resources in their own life, they've hoarded and hoarded and gathered and hoarded. And they've done so because <coughs> they were afraid they might not have enough. They might run out. And so, some people have been found to have bank accounts that are huge, resources and investments that are great, property value that is immense, and yet they lived as if they had nothing. Oh, what a foolish way of thinking, we would say. And yet, friends, we could be that way spiritually too. We have so much from the Lord. Let us take what He has blessed us with and let us use all for His glory and the extension of His kingdom. William Gurnell, he lived in the 1650s in England. He made this observation. He said, It has cost many a man his life when his house has been on fire to attempt through covetousness to save some of his stuff, venturing among the flames to preserve this. He has perished himself. And what does the world do? They venture to save that which they're going to lose anyway, and they give up their soul. And that's the very question that Jesus said. If you will save your life, you will lose it. But believer, when we lose our life for Christ, we will find it, we will receive everlasting life, and we will be with Him forever and forever. I close with this quote by J.C. Ryle. The flesh must be daily crucified. The devil must be daily resisted. The world must be daily overcome. There is a warfare to be waged and a battle to be fought. If any man will come after me, let this be for love of Christ, love for the Lord's people, and a love for the souls of men 
And let us all, as a congregation of the Lord's people, serve the Lord with gladness. Let us go forward with joy and the fullness of the Holy Spirit. We cannot do this by ourselves. We can only accomplish this by the grace and the Spirit's power that is within us. Let's bow, please, in prayer. As our heads are bowed and our eyes are closed, our service is over now. And if you don't know the Lord, I just give you a simple invitation to confess Christ where you are now. Ask Him to save your soul, friend, and He will come in. He will save you. Wait behind. Talk to me. I'll speak to you at the door. If you're online, send us an email. I'll reach out and contact you. Ah, but believer, has the Lord been speaking to some heart here about taking up your cross and following Him? Is there a call, someone about serving the Lord in a greater capacity? Don't delay, don't put off. Give yourself afresh to Him. And as a congregation, we pray together, Lord, take us and use us. Father, hear our prayer tonight. Write this word upon every heart, we pray. Write it upon my own soul. And, O oh God, do in me, I pray, a greater work. Help me to be your servant and to live whatever days I have left for your honor and glory. Hear our prayers. Part us now in your fear and with your rich and mighty blessing. For we ask in Jesus' name, amen.